Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm really excited for today's episode. Today's guest is a transformational leader passionate about continuous learning, people empowerment, and driving change. She improves customer and employee experiences through human-centered design and technology enablement. She leads OCM strategy development and execution for major corporate initiatives and engaging training. She's currently the senior manager of change management at Sprouts Farmer's Market, one of my favorite grocery stores. Please welcome Andrea Johnson. Hello, Andrea. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. And I want to jump right into it as we usually do and ask to get your perspective on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Uh, for me, I think it's the, the speed of change, uh, all the changes coming at, at frontline workers and not having the best understanding of what's in it for them. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to digest change if, if you understand why it's happening and, and how it's going to benefit you. And a lot of times that message doesn't, doesn't get down to them to connect all those dots. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. We, we talk a lot about the speed of change, especially as it relates to technology. Uh, but I think even over the last year and a half, I mean, as a society and as workers, uh, you know, we've all changed so dramatically over the last year and a half because of this pandemic that it's just, um, you, you know, even what was fast before has now just been, been sped up quite a bit. And I do think that they're on the receiving end of a lot of that change. So I think that's a, a really interesting point you bring up. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit of, uh, about your background. Tell us about your role at Sprouts and uh, what you spend your time doing there. All right. Well, I started uh, my career in digital product marketing and user experience research. And, you know, we had these huge teams around developing these products for our customers to, so they could, could use the technology efficiently. And it was in, enjoyable and useful and usable. Um, but then you look at the, the systems we provide team members in-house and there's no UX on them and they're out of the box and, you know, coded by a, a, a coder who is speaking in their language and not the end user's language. And so <clears throat> when you know, from that, I, I became very passionate about organizational change management um, and specifically around technology and how it impacts our, our team members and, and productivity and morale uh, and, and turnover. Why do you think there's, when you talk about UX with, with these workers, I, I think it's a great point. We, we talk about this all the time in our business that the consumerization of IT hasn't really made it to frontline workers in the same sense, right? And I, I think part of that is that, you know, in, in the consumer market, we are the decision maker and we're also the consumer of that technology, right? So we're making individual decisions for ourselves. 
in the corporate environment, the people who are being asked to use this technology on the front lines were not involved in the decision. Do you think that impacts the, the investment in UX? Absolutely. A absolutely. A anything that, that you noticed along the way of ways that that could be improved when, when we're thinking about, you know, deploying technology to the front lines? Um, well, you know, getting their, their feedback, understanding their job, their role, when you're developing uh, the, the product itself, or if it's kind of an out of the box solution, um, while you're developing the, the communications, the training, <clears throat> the support plan for that. Yeah. Um, when you look at, at frontline workers, a lot of times they don't have um, you know, direct access uh, to a computer or, or email. And so when you're asking them to, um, be, you know, to, to find support, um, that's a bigger ask than someone who's sitting at, at a desk behind their laptop all day. Yeah. How did you make the shift from user experience design and product development into OCM? Uh, I had a, uh, a mentor who, who recruited me um, and, and said, you know, Andre, I've got the perfect job for you. It's, it's organizational change management for this big uh, digital transformation we're going through. And, you know, I, I kind of sat back and thought, well, but I'm a product marketer. And at the end of the day, organizational change management is, is marketing to your internal employees. And it's uh, a little bit more difficult because they know what's behind the curtain and they've gotten, you know, some of them have PTSD from, from previous technology launches where they you know, where, where things didn't get, go so smoothly. I mean, because let's face it, not every technology launch has some type of, type of hiccup. Um, and when you're on the receiving end of that, uh, because the first time you saw it was the day that it launched, um, it, you know, it can be pretty painful and yeah. a lot of repercussions there. Did you make the move into change management at Sprouts or was that before you landed at Sprouts? Uh, no. Uh, this was when I worked for FedEx Freight. Okay. Um, so there they were going through a, a very big digital transformation on their their docks and, and for their drivers um, to <clears throat> add a ton more automation in um, than, than originally had. And so, so that's where I, I started and where that passion grew. And, um, you know, I'm all change management all the time now. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting, and you know, you and I touched on this a little bit as we were preparing for today's uh, episode, that there are a lot of common threads between change management and user experience, right? We're in, in both practices, we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the user and really make sure that we understand, you know, the world from their perspective. Do, do you think that your, your background in user experience has maybe changed the way that you perceive change management as compared with your colleagues and others in the profession? Absolutely. Um, you know, as a, as a product marketer, you're with that that product all the time. Um, or as you're preparing to, to launch something, you know the ins and outs of that that product. But once you get it in front of the end user, and they start thinking that, oh well, th this button surely, th you know, this is the button I click to to move forward in this process. 
and you you really get those aha moments and so you just can never make assumptions um that the way that that you perceive something is the way that your your end user is going to perceive it yeah so what what bring makes this so uh i mean i hear a lot of passion in your voice about the end users and and so it's clear in both your the, the previous role and then you know the role that you're in today very end user centric what is it that brings so much passion to you about working uh, with those workers in that way? Well, I, I mean, I like to help people. I think a lot of people do, you know, and, and it's nice to see there um, when, when you've, you've done something and their eyes light up and, and you see everything thing click and, oh, this is going to make my job easier. And, um, you know, I, I, I will be able to do this, 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 this is, not going to be as hard as I, as I thought. And so it's, it's all that, you know, putting yourself in, in their shoes and, and putting the, the forethought into what's the, the easiest way that I can, can get these folks to um, adopt this new system, this new process and minimize the disruption for everything else that's going on, you know, with, with their day job, <laughs> because at, at the end of the day, um, you know, the system might be the, the, the biggest thing that the, the IT organization is launching right now, but out in the stores, they're still trying to, to keep the shelves full and the customers happy. And this is just more noise in the background for them. That's one of the things I've witnessed what you just described a lot. I think a lot of times these big digital transformation initiatives, um, they are coming down from the top. There's a heavy uh, you know, participation from IT a lot of, you know, fantastic, amazing professionals in the program and project management space. And, and, and I say this with all due respect, but they're kind of working against chart and, you know, timelines and checklists, right? And I think a lot of times the human element of that change is left out. And, you know, we find that to be, it, it can become the weakest link, not because the employees aren't capable, but because we probably haven't paid it as much attention, right? I think change management and training seem to be at the tail end. They always seem to be the first things to get cut when budgets are tight and timelines are tight. And yet it's, it's the most critical thing is the employee adoption. If we've invested, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars in new technology and we don't have engagement by the users, it's all for naught. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Have you learned any ways to kind of help make a better business case for change management um, when you're seeing these big transformations come or maybe in the organizations that you've worked for since they have OCM professionals on board? Maybe that that business case hasn't needed to be made. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I, you you hit on it right there. It's we're investing, you know, a million, two million, ten million dollars into this new system. But at the end of the day, if people aren't using it, that ROI is zero. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so convincing them that, you know, you're not going to get the return, <laughs> the street's not going to be happy, you know, if, if we're not getting the return on this because folks aren't using it. I've literally been through experiences where, uh, you know, I was involved in the technology side of things and, the company spent, you know, six months debating and testing different barcode scanners to see which one was going to scan barcodes faster, you know, and then we get all the way out to the end and the training period has been compressed. The investment is compressed. You know, the implementation is just sped through. 
So we've wasted a lot of time and money, you know, trying to evaluate, you know, splitting hairs between two manufacturers, barcode scanners, and we left out, which by the way, probably wouldn't have made that much of a difference in the overall success of the program. And, and then we leave out all of the attention to detail on how we're going to ensure engagement and, and ensure, you know, successful adoption of the technology. And I, I think that's such a shame. So it's, it's always refreshing to talk to folks that are in your profession where their organizations are supportive of that. And, um, you know, they're making the proper investments to really think about the implications of that throughout this, these transformational exercises. Absolutely. What are the things that, that you do outside of work? I know we, we got started talking about work and your job, but what do you do outside of work that, that uh, you bring passion to? Um, well, I, I am on the board of the Arizona chapter of Association of Change Management Professionals. So like I said, I'm all change management all the time. So, so in work and outside of work, you're thinking a lot about OCM. That's fantastic though. Tell me more about the organization. Yeah, so uh, we you know, work together to um, help evangelize uh, organizational change management methodologies uh, throughout the, the, the valley, uh, the, the Phoenix Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, especially helping some of our, some of the, the nonprofits that, that may not have the budget to have um, change management professionals uh, to make sure uh, that that you know the things that they're doing are resonating w- with their end users and and they're getting that that return on on investment. That's fantastic. The, the nonprofit piece is a is a really good point because they tend to be resource constrained, but they're going through just as much transformation as as anybody else. So um, what you guys are doing there uh, sounds like really good work. Do you? In that organization, I'm curious, do you talk at all about, I mean, you and I just touched on it very briefly about the high level business case, hey, we're going to spend $10 million on this project, why wouldn't we focus on the end users, but have you learned any strategies or does that group discuss any strategies about how to actually put together that business case? I mean, the the simple math is, hey, we don't want to lose $10 million because we didn't spend X number of dollars, you know, on on training and, and other communication plans and things like that. But is there anything, any more insights that you can can share with us? Um, about how to actually go about that process? Yeah, and it, um, I, I think it, it's also, you know, history is your greatest teacher. Um, you know, looking at, 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 at past launches, past investments that, that you've made and um, what went right, what went, went wrong, and, you know, did, did people challenges result in, you know, not getting the, the results you hope for immediately. Um, so looking at, you know, because like I said, and your end users have, have some PTSD from, you know, horrible, horrible rollouts, but, but your executives have too, you know, they're, they're getting yelled at by, by the, their boss and by the board as, as well to, you know, get it done on time or, or, and on budget. So. You know, I had an experience, I, I was a consultant on a project with uh, a large utility company, and we talked about the, uh, this, there was a pretty major digital transformation initiative going on, and I was in the room with a bunch of employees that had been with the company for a couple of decades. And you talk about the PTSD or, you know, just the, the mental scar tissue that they had. We, we talked about how we were going to implement the change, and I won't get into all the details of this, but the, this is, these are the folks from corporate. And literally a few people in the room kind of snapped back at me 
about how we were talking about managing the change. And they said, you just don't understand. You've not been in the field with our workers, you know, and they kind of went on with this whole thing. And so it's, it's really interesting to see the, uh, the emotions that come up both with frontline workers and the folks up at corporate as we're, we're trying to drive this change. And it, they weren't just being stubborn. Um, you know, of course, everybody was kind of rowing in the same direction in terms of wanting to make the change, but there was a lot of, of legacy scar tissue there about those bad experiences in the past. And they were trying to right the ship a little bit. So I think you're right. I think first time uh, initiatives are always the hardest to convince people to, to take a, a step back and look at things more broadly. But when they have some previous experiences, it probably makes it a little bit easier to go through that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's go back to the main challenge we spoke about in the beginning. When I asked you what you felt was the, the biggest challenge facing, you know, the deskless workforce, um, you specifically talked about the speed of change. And, and I agree with you that that's definitely one of the things that we see, um, you know, a lot in our experience is just that the, the pace of change is really causing a lot of challenges for that, I, I'm for, for frontline workers in particular. And I, I would think the change management, you know, just the, the strategies around change management would be an opportunity to ease the burden of that. I'm curious to hear what you're doing to help address that challenge of, you know, we can't slow down. It's not okay to take our foot off the gas. So we have to keep that, that pace of change up. What are some of the tools and techniques that you're using to help ease the burden on some of the, you know, the people on the receiving end of that change? So uh, one, it, it needs to be all, all hands on deck. You, you need um, your change champion network that is, peers or, or maybe just the frontline uh, leaders of, of the, the folks that are absorbing this change involved and, and bought in um, because they can really relate to um, how this is go going to in impact the, these frontline workers and can give you a good temperature check on, oh, this is going to work or th this isn't going to work. But then you also need that that buy-in from all levels of, of leadership. Because um, you know as well as anyone that um, if your leadership isn't bought in, um, that just rolls downhill, and your ultimate end user is not going to to be bought in either. Um, you know they might think that that it'll just go away, or they can continue doing doing it their their own way or they'll figure out a workaround to avoid doing this. Um, but ultimately, you know, your frontline workers, especially related to technology, you have five generations in the workforce. So there's not a one size fits all OCM plan, rinse, repeat, um, you know, <clears throat> you have to, um, you know, one account for the all, all the generations and learning styles, how how readily they are to embrace technology and respond different ways. Some people want to get help different ways. Some people um, don't want to sit in uh, you know an instructor-led training. They'd rather just have some some bite-sized videos online. And so it's really understanding um, the audiences um, and, and their pain points with, with the current state and figuring out how to, to make that case for them that 
you know, it's gonna, it might be a little painful at first, you know, nothing's gonna go without out at tick-ups, but um, at, at the end of the day, when we get through this, we're going to, you know, make your job easier, be more productive, you know, whatever those, those benefits are, and they, they truly have to believe it. And in order, in order for them to believe it, everyone up the chain has to believe it as well. You know, one of our other guests said something that you just reminded me of this um, when you were explaining that uh, about the communications from senior level execs. And if you think about, you know, um, perhaps what the CEO may say to a team of employees about why this is important, and they may mention things like profitability and shareholders and public markets and, and a bunch of other things that some of the employees care deeply about. Uh, but many of the frontline workers won't care at all about that. <laughs> what, what do you think about that, that, that challenge? Is, is there a case to be made that that communication should be coming down um, you know, differently for frontline workers than perhaps some of the others in the organization? Or is, is, should it be the same message that to, to make sure that everybody's saying the same thing about the same digital transformation topic? Um. Well, obviously, it you know the audience matters, and and so if you if the the CEO is talking about um, you know how we're gonna you know raise our our shareholder value, that's great, um, but all of the the, the benefits at, at each level need to be communicated and and understood thoroughly, um, so that that they can talk about it. Um, so if your CEO is out walking the dock or, or out in, in one of your stores, that if they get asked by a, a frontline employee, well, you know, why, why are we implementing Workday or why, why are we doing this? He's, his response is then, oh, because <laughs> the shareholders want it and we want to raise the stock price. It's, oh, because it's going to allow us to go, to go paperless and you're going to be able to, to access you know, all this stuff without having to talk to HR to, to get something done, or, um, you know, it's going to speed up what you do each day. Although sometimes that's a double-edged sword because you have, um, you know, that, that, that fear of, of being replaced by technology. Um, so, it, you know, the fear of being replaced by te technology or the fear of not knowing or feeling like they, they won't be able to uh, learn, learn the, the new technology and ultimately be, be replaced because of that. I've sat in a lot of meetings in, you know, headquarters and conference rooms where we talked about, you know, different, uh, technology initiatives. And in very few of those cases over a couple of decades was the, uh, investment being made so that they could reduce headcount. Right. And yet somehow, the field often feels that the reason the technology is being invested in is so that they can be made more efficient so that they don't need as many of them, right? And, and I don't blame them for feeling that way. I just, um, I, I wish that we could all do a better job of helping them understand that, yes, are we trying to squeeze more productivity out of the field? Of course we are. That's, you know, we're running a business and, and that's part of what we're, we're always going to try and do here, but it doesn't have to be at the cost of your job. We're actually trying to help you be more effective and, and more successful in the role. And, and I, I don't think we always do a great job of, of getting that message out to them. And maybe I think in some organizations, it may just be a little bit of a trust issue. Even if those mm -hmm. words are said, um, you know, the, the employees may not necessarily believe it. 
Um, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that I think we all need to can continue to press on because, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the what's in it for them, right? It, we've got to be able to, to do a better job of addressing that and take away some of their fears and concerns. Yeah, like uh, the, the digital transformation at, at FedEx Freight, um, that was so that we could handle more freight. It wasn't, it wasn't so that we could, could have fewer, fewer people. Exactly right. Yeah, and a lot of the the workforces that we're talking about today, these organizations are struggling to uh, hire more people. They're not mm -hmm. trying to get rid of people; they're trying to hire more people. So, you know, the sooner you can get up to speed, Mister or Mrs. Frontline Worker, on this technology, and the sooner you can be successful, the the sooner you can be in a good place in your role, and you know, make room for the others to come into the organization. So, it's um. I know times are a little bit different right now because we've got so many people just changing, you know, industries and, and changing roles and things like that. But um, I, I think this this issue has been around for a long time and, and just collectively, I know I'm making some pretty broad generalizations here, but I think collectively all of us that are involved in digital transformation have a responsibility and an opportunity to improve the way that we communicate to those frontline workers. And it sounds like you're already, you know, well on that path. Absolutely. You know, um, at, at Sprouts, there's, a, a host of, of channels that that we have and I'm all for you know yeah put it in the playbook um, send an email give the talking points to the managers because you know sometimes you know people are out um, or they didn't have a, a chance to to be at you know that stand-up meeting with with their their uh, leader before their shift and so you have to hit them at with with every channel that that you have um it's unfortunate to hear oh no we're not going to no one no one reads email anymore so we're not going to send that well some people do <laughs> so yeah well and and okay if that's the case may, may, let's take your assumption for a minute as if it's fact right um then what's the plan b because not communicating should not just be considered acceptable right so if they don't have access to email or they're not going to read the email, then what's, what's the plan B, but not communicating shouldn't be, you know, a, a viable, uh, you know, option. Right. Um, and another thing about uh, your, your frontline uh, workers is that a lot of times, you know, because they don't have, have email and they're not sitting in front of a, a laptop all day, their primary source of information may be from, their leaders from, you know, their, their direct managers. Um, but a lot of times those leaders weren't, you know, they were in, in the job, uh, the, the frontline job previously, and they were good at it. And so they got promoted because they were good at the old job, not because they were great leaders and great communicators. Um, you know, so, so that's why it's very important to focus on um, leadership development as well. Um, and making it just as, as easy as possible, giving them th those, those talking points or the, those FAQs so that the, the manager doesn't have to make up a reason. Um, but of course, I don't know is always, it, it's an accept, I, I, I always preach this, that, that I don't know is, is an acceptable answer as long as that's followed up with, but I will find the answer for you, uh, um, you know, to, to close that loop. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really a good point and making sure that they know how to get that support, both at the manager level as, as well as the frontline uh, workers themselves. I think that's huge. We, we've actually talked about that lately on a few of the other podcasts that um, 
being able to communicate and, and really help users understand what's going to happen when the project team isn't here. What happens if you don't have a colleague to go over and ask, right? You and I talked when we were preparing for today uh, about, you know, some field workers really feeling like they're out on an island. And so, you know, to, to ease the burden for them and to reduce some of their anxiety and stress about being left out on an island, uh, to make sure that we communicate with them about how and where you go to, to figure out what you need to do um, really seems to help reduce that anxiety quite a bit so that they're not just dependent on the implementation team, you know, who's, who's there for a couple of weeks when you're rolling out new technology, that there's, there are going to be resources available to you and we're not going to leave you out on an island. Yeah, now one of the things that we did at Sprouts, uh, we've, we've used WalkMe, um, which kind of is an overlay for a lot of systems um, where it'll, it'll guide you through, or you can include some of that, those user guides or, or FAQs um, right inside the, the technology that you're launching. Um, so they, they, they have that at their, their fingertips and it's not, okay, get on a call, um, and wait 30 minutes for, for a response or, uh, submit a ticket. That's my favorite one. Like, yeah. <laughs> submit a ticket and one day we'll get back to you. Someday, maybe. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's just not realistic. It's especially if you've got, you know, one person, um, doing the, the job, they don't have a peer that, that they can ask because, you know, they're the only one that does this job for this shift. Um, and, and so they need to be able to, to help them themselves. Um, so anything you can do to, to enable that, um, even if it's, you know, I, it's best, you know, I'd, I'd rather not use paper if I didn't have to, but, but sometimes um, at Freight, when we were launching things, it would just be handouts that, that we would give them. And granted, after three days, those were smashed on the, on the, the floorboard of the truck. Right. But they did their job for that day or two while they were getting going and, and getting through that, that learning curve. And, um, you know, so you just have to have to meet them where, where they're at because the, the help, yeah. help ticket queue isn't always viable option. That's not going to be viable. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the use of a digital adoption platform with WalkMe. Tell me, share with us um, what's worked well with that. What would you do differently if you could do that over again? I'd like to pick your brain on that a little bit. So uh, WalkMe is great, um, but you really need someone that not only knows the system that you're implementing, but also WalkMe so you can 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 respond to, to the needs uh, of, of team members as you start getting questions, you know, you can can add the, those things in uh, very quickly. Um, and hopefully, <laughs> you know, the, the, the purpose of WalkMe is is that that everything is so self explanatory. Um, but it still needs to be promoted as well that that this is a, a, a source of, of of help for, for the team members. Yeah. Are you using that on, um, mobile applications or your point of sale system or any other applications like that? Or are you primarily using that for web applications inside sprouts? Uh, just, just, uh, web applications. Okay. 
Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned before, um, I wanted to just get your take on this a little bit more that, that folks don't want to sit in instructor led training sessions in, in a classroom. And I can certainly relate to that. I don't want to either. Um, and that there's a preference for videos. I, I would say like we're in the YouTube generation now. Uh, it really doesn't matter how old you are, if you're 75 or 25, you, you know, most of us now, when we are trying to learn something new, the first place that many of us go is to YouTube to go see if there's a quick three minute video about something, right? What are your, what would your advice be on, on how to do that from a, a video standpoint? Have you learned any best practices about kind of what's working with that media and what's not working and how you're distributing that and things like that? Yeah, um, definitely bite size, you know, 30 seconds to, to, to two minutes, mm -hmm. um, tips, tips and tricks like that. I mean, we do have some, some pretty complicated uh, complex uh, systems uh, at, at Sprouts where it, it does just require instructor-led training. Um, but obviously there, there's a cost to that. And during COVID, you know, that, that's had to go, go online as well. And so we are seeing a lot of results with um, those, those short bite-size reminder clips. Um, at, at Freight, we had with Exonify that also used some of our, um, the, some data that, that we were able to, to target users that were um, not as proficient in, in some areas to, to send some of those, those videos out to them and, and use the, the gamification uh, there. That makes a lot of sense. So you actually were looking at how users were doing their job. You had some performance metrics and from that, then you would kind of to pull up then new training content for them that was based on where they had some, some gaps. Yeah. So um, like some of the, the driver rules or um, the different hazardous material signs that, that you had to have out things like that, um, that, you know, that that repetitive and and the the gamification of it made it more fun to learn um and you know the the companies getting a win out of that as well because they're helping to reinforce those those things that they're not as proficient at of course yeah that makes perfect sense do you think that there are technology adoption differences between frontline workers, in, in your case, you've talked about examples from FedEx Freight and, and from Sprouts versus, you know, what we call traditionally, you know, knowledge workers or, you know, workers that are working at a desk with more traditional desktop applications. Do you think that there's uh, a difference from a change management perspective about how we should be handling those two circumstances? I do, because um, though someone is very tech savvy at, at home, you know, with, with their TV or um, their video game console. When it comes to work, that's a whole a whole different ball because that that's that's where my my paycheck comes from. <laughs> and if I screw this up, um, you know, they may not feel uh, at at liberty to experiment as much, especially when when they're on the clock. Um, and there are some parts of of frontline workers' jobs that are are so repetitive; it's just built into their muscle memory. Um, we used to have a, a system that the, the um, data entry folks at, at Freight, they knew how to, how to do that without looking at their keyboard and tabbing through everything. 
we came in and we put this, you know, modern system in where they had to use their mouse and boy, that, that threw them for a loop. Um, you know, they were just so used to, to tabbing through, you know, this, this old DOS system and, and then, um, you know, where the, the UX folks would be like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. And they're going to be so efficient at this. Um, you know, that the learning curve was really long for them. Um, so folks that aren't sitting, um, using technology in, in the, the same way, uh, it's, it's, you know, that that's definitely a challenge. You know, the point you just raised makes me think about the fact that when we have an existing team that's been using some solution that's existed in the business for some time, and we're implementing new technology to replace it, the change management challenge is saying, here's the way it was before, and here's the way it's going to be now. But that's different when we have new hires coming into the organization that never saw the old system. And I'm curious if you have any perspectives on, you know, how to really go about making sure that new hires get kind of a clean slate version of the story versus, you know, the change of, you know, going from old to new. Anything we can learn from you on that? Um, so when you're, when you're creating your, your, your training plan, um, you, that's definitely something to, to take into consideration um, for current team members versus new hires and, and what part of that, that history can be cut out and you can, you know, fast forward uh, through that. Um, they might need, not need, the, the, your new hires might not need to know the, the, the history or the why behind, um, behind the change. Um, but yeah, like we, we had talked about earlier, it's the, the, the folks that have been there a while that have seen the, the, the company go through different iterations and, and hiccups of, uh, a technology inflammation that, that, that hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've, you've had a pretty, um, you know, most of your career has been working in and around technology. What do you love about working with technology and, and what do you really hate about it? Um, I love that uh, there's always something new and, and, and different. So it, it, it keeps it exciting. Um, what I hate, uh, <laughs> a recent example uh, with, with, with Workday, um, you know, I, I don't know that the ins and outs and it takes a long time to change a process um, when something seems so simple, like why couldn't we just put, you know, have this step before this step and call it a day? Well, when it's it's a tool um, as as robust as, as Workday, you know, there's a lot of downstream implications, um, and it takes really intimate knowledge of of the system to to understand uh, that and to to craft some of the, those FAQs and and uh, the, the, the why behind, you know, why is this developed the way that it is? You know, why, why are you making me do something um, that used to take three steps, now it takes seven steps. But there's a reason for it, um, you know, because it, it impacts 17 other processes over here and, and they need the, those other steps. And, 
And so that is frustrating for me. if we're just looking at, at you know, one piece of it, um, you know, I, I want to learn the, the whole thing. And sometimes there's just not time for that. You know, I, I mean, in my day job, we have a software company and we get frustrated by that too, right? You know, it's, uh, we actually had a, an internal call today talking about, um, you know, some things from a user experience standpoint that we'd really like to change. And, you know, changing a little bit from like the user interface itself would actually be pretty easy. But the downstream implications, exactly as you said before, there are so many other things for us to consider. And um, most of our, the team here would argue that I'm very impatient. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> and they're probably right. I get frustrated because it seems like visually the change should be so relatively easy. And I am very uh, sensitive to the needs of the, the workers themselves, the users of the technology. And so I, I want to be able to make that change very quickly, but uh, you know the engineering team always comes back and has to you know explain all the implications of the architecture and stuff. So it's I, I share your frustration on that. On the other hand, I would say you know when I I think about the joys around technology, the positive side of that is that it's it's not like building a factory or in your case you know building a, a retail store where, uh, you know, if we want to change things out, you know, just to say, hey, I really think we should have put the butcher shop over here and put the dairy section over here. Well, that's, you know, you're not probably going to change that for some number of years in a retail environment. But in software, you know, it may not happen this week, it may not happen this quarter, but you know, typically, we can make those changes pretty quickly. So there are definitely some pros and cons to that. But I, I certainly see, uh, see your point on that. So I, we're getting close to wrapping up here. I knew the time was going to fly. It always seems to uh, in these conversations, but I, I'm really curious to understand how you learn more about your profession. So you're clearly very passionate and very knowledgeable about, you know, uh, organizational change management. I'm curious if there are events that perhaps you used to attend or maybe are still attending where we're trying to get a sense for kind of where's everybody hanging out and trying to get, you know, to continue on the professional development path, uh, you know, post COVID where some of the things that we used to do are, are maybe not an option right now. Uh, well, I'm a voracious reader. Um, so I, I follow a ton of, ton of different organizations on uh, LinkedIn. So I'm laying in bed scrolling through LinkedIn uh, most nights. Um, and then the blogs like uh, Fast Company or ProSci um, or the Association of Change Management Professionals. Um, and, you know, I, I like to, I, I've just been a lifelong learner and like to understand things. So, you know, there's, there's even things uh, on, like on LinkedIn, I, I follow the World Economic Forum. They're, they're always sharing you know, interesting things like something that just came across today was by 2025, 50% of us are going to have to uh, reskill or, or upskill in our job. I mean, and I would, I would say that's kind of a, a conservative, <laughs> conservative guess, but it's, it's just, um, you know, just even little snippets, little bite-sized uh, nuggets that, that, that I get from, from, reading, you know, blogs. And um, I've worked with a, a couple of great uh, change management companies uh, in the past. Um, Tier One Performance Solutions is, is one of my favorite. They, they have a great blog and, and I have learned so much from them. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm ProSci certified, so um, they're always sending out new new stuff. And when, when you get certified, I think they give you about five or six different books. <laughs> and, oh. you know, so reading all those cover to cover. And Yeah. That's awesome. So I think part of the answer to your question is events aren't in the cards for you. No, yeah. I mean, they used to be, but not anymore. Yeah. I think that's an area where we're going to see some permanent change. I, I think uh, I have been talking to some folks around the industry who have been, uh, you know, participating in some events, you know, ATD just had an event up in Salt Lake, Salt Lake city. Um, I guess probably about a month ago now, or at least a few weeks ago. And it sounds like attendance was, you know, way down, but they did have an in-person event for those folks that wanted to participate. So uh, I think everything's changing going forward. And, uh, you know, I, I hate the, the new normal. I kind of hate that expression. And yet I find myself using it. But I think uh, the, the new normal is that it's going to be more of a blended approach for all of us from a professional development and networking standpoint. So uh, for us, our solution to that was let's create a podcast and start, you know, if we can't all be together in the same room, at least we can create a, you know, a, an audience of folks where we can have great conversations like the one that we had today and, uh, you know, kind of bring that audience together here. So hopefully you'll continue uh, listening to the other podcasts as well. I do. Fantastic. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have today. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Andrea. 